more about Jesus.
Part two of salvation, personal salvation. Last week we talked about salvation and how salvation is deliverance. Deliverance is in two ways, physical and spiritual. And we're emphasizing the spiritual part. And salvation is described in the Bible in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, as great salvation. Great for several reasons because of God's great compassion, the great invitation, great opportunity. Uh, great resign of salvation, great sacrifice that Christ made, and great benefits of salvation. So tonight, personal salvation is not complicated. It is not complicated because it is by faith. Salvation is not complicated because it is by faith. Uh, Acts chapter 16, we looked at that last week. We'll come back again to Acts chapter 16 to begin. In verse number 30 and 31, the Philippian jailer, he is asking Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And their answer in Acts chapter 16 and verse number 31, they said, believe. That is the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? A spiritual salvation, a personal salvation, not a physical deliverance. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the result. 
when you believe on Christ, thou shalt be saved. Spiritual salvation, their personal salvation, being saved from sin, being saved from the consequences of sin, and one day being saved to enter the presence of Christ because that person got saved. And then he says, and thy house. In verse number 11, uh, 31, he says, and thy house. So Philippian jail, you can be saved by faith, by believing, not only you, but also your whole household, your whole family can be saved by faith. Just like you got saved, your family can get saved too. Your wife and your children, however many you have, your family can be saved as well by faith. So the question is, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? What, must, what, what is that something I need to do? And Paul says, believe. That's the thing to do, and that is believe. Now, everyone can believe. Everyone can believe. Everyone can have faith. We all have faith in something. We all believe in something. We all believe in someone. Uh, it's getting kind of interesting right now on the national level because of 2024 elections for president. You have people campaigning already, and people are saying, vote for me, I'm the one. And uh, people vote for the candidate because they believe in that person, and they would do something to show their belief. And when you have faith in Christ, you can be saved. And so salvation is not complicated. It's simple. It's by faith. And then John 3, 36, we looked at that verse. Again, we'll look at that again. John 3, 36, he that believeth, he that believeth on him, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And then he says, and he that believeth not. So the factor here that makes the difference in eternity is believing or not believing. Notice it does not say certain other things. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. So you believe on Christ, faith, the result is everlasting life. So what must I do? What must I do? The answer, believe. And when you believe, that equals something called eternal life. Thou shalt be saved. And so that is what a person has when he believes. Until then, he does not have that. So everyone has to eventually come to a place in their life where they choose to believe on Christ. And when they do, they will be given something called eternal life. Eternal life means they will spend eternity with Christ and with whoever else in their lifetime also believe on Christ. So let's take a look at this. Uh, he did say to the Philippian jailer, let's just do a jailer here. Here's a jailer. I don't know if he had a mustache or not, but it's the jailer. All right, now he, Paul says, if you believe, you'll be saved. And he says, and thy house. So here is someone else in his house. That is Mrs. Philippian Jailer. Okay, now Mrs. Philippian Jailer and Mr. Philippian Jailer, they probably were married for a little while, we're guessing. And so they have children. And here's child number one. And then here's the daughter. Listen, what does the daughter look like? Oh, I don't know. Short hair. Okay, so believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. So each one of the family, if they also believe on Christ, they'll be saved like dad got saved. They'll be saved like mom got saved. 
And one day they all will be in a place called heaven because each one of them got saved. Now just imagine this. If dad got saved, the Philip and Jerry got saved by faith because he believed on Christ, but and mom got saved, so I'll put saved. I'll put saved, she got saved. But the son, for some reason, says, I don't believe. I don't believe. So he is unsaved. Now, the, the sister says, can I be saved too? Yes, she can be saved, says the Apostle Paul. And so she gets saved too. So now, she's saved, she goes to heaven when she dies. Mom and dad are saved, they go to heaven too when they die. So these three are in heaven. But the son, for some reason, did not get saved. Because, now I don't know how the son, how old he was. Let's say he was, uh, I'll say uh, 13, I'll say 14, I'll say 15, I'll say I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So he, he was going to school, and in school the teacher says, that there is no God in, in the Roman government school. And so there is no God, and so he doesn't believe in God. And so and he also has heard, he also has heard that, he also has heard that besides there is no God, that God is mean because there's so much suffering in this world, and if God was love, he would make everybody happy, but not everybody's happy. So he has all these reasons why he cannot believe and so the apostle Paul tells him well the truth is if you want to be saved you have to believe on Christ just like daddy did just like mom did just like your sister did and he says well, what if I don't believe in Christ then the apostle Paul tells him well if you don't believe in Christ like Jesus like Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 he that believeth on the son hath everlasting life and he that believeth not, the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So I can imagine the apostle Paul, if he was talking to the Philippian Jew's son, he would say, now listen young man, don't think there's such a hot shot because you're believing something. You believe what the teacher says at school, but believe me because I'm telling what Jesus said, and if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and if you believe like your mom believed, like your dad believed, like your sister believed, you too shall be saved. You wanna get saved little boy? He says, don't call me little, I'm 14. <laughs> he says, okay, 14-year-old smart aleck, you want to get saved? Well, I don't know. If I do get saved, my friends will laugh at me. Well, son, the apostle Paul says, if they laugh at you, it's just them laughing at you. But you go to heaven. Isn't that worth it? For them to laugh at you and you go to heaven? I know, but if I, if I get saved tonight, like mom got saved, like dad got saved, like my sister got saved, then um, I may have to quit my marijuana smoking. I may have to quit my, my acting up with my friends. I may have to quit a lot of things. I may not be able to run around with them like I used to if I get saved. And the apostle looked him in the face, he said this, now listen here, young man, this is serious stuff. We're not playing over here. If you die without Christ, you're not gonna go to heaven. You got that? And the boy's looking like this. Now let me talk to you straight, son. And he said, dad, can I talk to you straight? The, the Philip just says, uh, Paul, just let him have it, the straight truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Thank you. And he tells him the whole truth. And he says, listen, your dad's going to go to heaven, your mom's going to go to heaven, your sister's going to go to heaven, but you're not going to go to heaven unless you, unless you believe on Christ too. Now think this through. 
Don't be foolish. Don't make, don't make a mistake here. You can be saved if you just believe. Now, believing is what is required to be saved. Faith is what required to be saved. Personal salvation is not complicated. It's very simple. It's very simple. Uh, because if, let's use some logic over here. Let's do some logic. Let's do some thinking. Let's use some reasoning. Uh, is it true that God is love? Yes. Is it true that Christ came to save everyone? Yes. Is it true that it makes God pleased and happy if more people get saved? Yes. So if that is true, and it is true, would he make it hard to be saved? Let's just think a little bit. Okay, you who are under 40, Put your little finger like this on your head and think. If you're under 40 years old, okay? If you're under 40. If you're over 40, forget it. <laughs> think. If God is love and he wants people saved, would it make it hard for people to be saved? What is the answer? I'll give you a clue. The answer is yes or no. Would he make it hard to be saved if he loves us? Yes or no? Okay, that means he makes it easy to be saved. And that is the truth. By faith, believing, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and result, thou shalt be saved. Okay? So it's not hard to be saved. And the reason is because the Lord did everything necessary. He did the work of salvation. He shed his blood, paid for our sins on the cross. He fulfilled everything that the Old Testament predicted and, and prophesied and foreshadowed and typified about his coming death. He fulfilled all the rituals of the Old Testament, all the sacrificial system, all the shadows about him coming. He is the perfect Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And so when he died on the cross, he fulfilled everything that God required for salvation. And in fact, there is a verse about that. And that verse is found in Colossians chapter 2. You need to turn there. Colossians chapter 2. And verse number 8. Salvation is easy by faith because the Lord did everything necessary. All the difficult, heavy lifting, quote and unquote. Did all the ugly work. He did all the suffering and he did everything required by God his Father to fulfill his requirements for salvation and the payment for sin. Colossians chapter 2. Now we need to look at Colossians chapter 2 in verse number 8. Colossians 2, 8 through verse 14. Now look at your Bibles, 2, 8, verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 8 through 14. Verse 8 tells us, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of the all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. A spiritual cutting. Verse 2, uh, 12. Buried with him in baptism wherein also ye are risen with him through faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Uh, the baptism is not a water baptism, but this is a placing into, a, a, a submersion, a, a entering into the body of Christ spiritually, verse 13, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, 
hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, verse 14, blotting out, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, verse 15, and having spoiled all principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And he says in verse 16, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink, or in respect of any holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And so Christ fulfilled every Old Testament image, picture, symbol, foreshadowing of his coming sacrifice on the cross. And so that's why on the cross he could say, It is finished. John 19:30, it is finished. What was finished? The work of the cross, the work of salvation, the fulfilling of everything in the Old Testament pointing to his sacrifice. He fulfilled that. So the question, what must I do? The simple answer is, it's very simple to be saved. It's by faith. It's by believing. It's not by anything that you can do to earn a part of salvation or the whole thing. Now, if it was possible to do something to earn salvation, we're still using our logic, okay? We have a hat on. It's the logic hat. It's the thinking hat. Sometimes it's good to think. Now, if we can add by our own goodness, by our own good works or our own self-effort, something to salvation, what would that be? Well, first of all, the percentage would be like this. Some people think and really believe that I can do something. What must I do? Well, what must I do? I can do some things. What are some things that people try to do to earn salvation instead of just believing, instead of just by faith trusting in Christ and His finished work? Well, people do try to do a lot of things, don't they? A lot of religious things. They, love, they want to do something that's even hard. Remember in the Old Testament? Think with me. We're thinking still yet. We're thinking. Somebody in the Old Testament who had leprosy. Leprosy. He is also an officer of the state. He's in the military. This man's in the military, working for Rome. This other man was also in the military, and he was a Syrian, and he had leprosy. And it just so happens that before it was discovered that he had leprosy, they had gone and raided Israel, brought back some slaves and some captives, and there's a little girl there who knew about one of God's prophets, Elijah, and how he could heal. And so she found out because she has to be working by coincidence in the palace of this influential, important officer in the home, I would say. And so she saw that his wife was sad. She cried a lot. And then she noticed that because she has eyes and she has ears and she can see and she can kind of think, but she wasn't supposed to ask any questions because she's a servant and she's not supposed to talk. And she was mind her own business, just serve. And so one day, she did have the courage to ask, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Naaman, I noticed, pardon me, but I noticed you've been crying a lot. Is there something wrong? I, I, pardon me for asking, but and it's not my place. That if you tell me to shh, I'll just shush. If you tell me to, but I noticed at the dinner table, it's a lot of sadness at the dinner table. And I noticed sometimes that your husband's not eating with us. Is something wrong? And that's how you imagine that. And it comes to find out that her husband, Mr. Naaman, he had leprosy and it's uncurable. The doctors couldn't do anything. 
they had HMSA, they had Kaiser Permanente, and uh, they even had Straub, but nothing could help. They even went to um, Tripler, and nothing helped the Tripler, of course. <laughs> Tripler could not help. And so they went out to Mexico to try some um, other remedies, some natural remedies, and that didn't help. So they're very sad, and they're all very, very sad because he's now removing himself from the house because he doesn't want them to get the leprosy. And so she says, oh, if my Lord would only have access to the prophet, then he can heal. And so the story goes on, and then the prophet tells the servants of Saint Naaman, dip in the Jordan River seven times and he'll be healed. And the man is insulted, but he finally does that. He dips into the river seven times, he comes up the seventh time, his skin is completely healed. It's like a baby skin. You ever pick up little David? You ever see David without his shirt? Well, I've never seen him without a diaper. But I can say that perhaps his his uh, skin under his diaper is so tender, like his face is tender. <laughs> and Naaman, who is probably in his 50s, I'm guessing, he has got rough, craggy skin, but also the leprosy. When he went down the seventh time, he came up the seventh time, all of a sudden, his skin was like a baby skin, brand new. Well, he did that by faith. He obeyed what the prophet said by faith. It doesn't make any sense, but he did what the prophet said, and because of his faith, he was healed of his leprosy. And so the Lord, in a spiritual sense, wants to save people. He doesn't make it hard to be saved. Now let's make it hard to be saved. But why would we do that if the Lord did everything necessary uh, for our salvation. So the, the cross, the cross, of course, is what is what we talk about in Colossians. He did everything necessary to be saved. How can we add to the finished work of Jesus Christ when he did everything necessary? And the Father says, I approve of this because he raised him from the dead. Well, what, what are we talking about here? Uh, is it I'll do my part because Jesus did his part? So is it Jesus did 95%? of the sacrifice that God approved of, and I get to do my 5% to make it 100%? Is that what some people think? I'm afraid they think that. Now, they may not say 5%. They might say Jesus did 98%, and I'll do my, my part 2%. This idea of I need to earn my pay, I need to earn. This is a good thing to want to earn something, work for something. It's a good thing. Uh, people don't want to work, get everything for free. That's a bad thing. But decent people, decent sinners, yes, decent sinners who feel like they have an obligation to do it, their part would be because they believe um, God helps those who help themselves. Now, that's not quite true when it comes to personal salvation. That could be true when it comes to you be responsible, and because you're responsible, there's a good result because you're responsible. But it's not the same when it's applied to I'll do my part, Jesus does his part. That's not what we're talking about here. That doesn't work. So let's give an example or two, two examples about, I'll do my 5% because Jesus is 95%. I believe on Christ, but I also do my part. I'll do my part. I'll do my share, my fair share. <laughs> oh, really? I'll do my fair share. There's no such thing when it comes to salvation. So here's an example about, we'll do our part because Jesus did his part and I'll do my part. I believe in him to the, to the point that he died for me. I believe that, but I got to do my part too. So here's an example of doing our part, and let's see if this is going to work, okay? Here's an example. Here we are 
in Hawaii. This is California. Okay, this is Long Beach, California. You know, from Hawaii to Long Beach, California is a long way. You know how long it is? You know how far it is? I looked it up because I didn't really know. It is by miles, I wrote it down here, 2,551, uh, sorry, 2,551.61 nautical miles. 2,551 point miles. Now, here's what I'm gonna tell you to do. If you really wanna be safe, if you really wanna do your part, You'd have to swim from Hawaii, from Honolulu, all the way to Long Beach, California. It's just 2,551.61 miles. That's all. Now, is it possible for anyone to swim there? But I really want to be safe. I really want to go to heaven. But the condition is, sir, is you must swim from here to California, Long Beach specifically, 2,551.61 miles. Now, what's the problem? There is a problem here. There's a problem here. If a person wants to do his 5% and not just put faith in Christ but add effort to it, it's like saying you must swim from here to there across the island ocean with those many miles with all the little things in the water. And I don't mean jellyfish. I mean sharks. And I mean water being caught. And I mean, you, it's not possible. Well, like that's not possible. It's not possible for man to add to the finished work of Christ and say, by my own effort, I'm going to be saved, hopefully. But you'll never know because you never know if you're going to make it. You're never going to make it. Here's another example about I'll do my percentage. Well, Jesus did his percentage, 98, 99%. I'll do my 1%. Okay, if someone imposed on you, you must do 100 push-ups in one minute. Could you do it? Now, there's two problems here. One, in the first example, that's a problem right there, big problem. And number two, there's another problem with this one. Do 100 push-ups in one minute. Can anybody do that? Well, maybe some could. 100 push-ups in one minute. But that's what, that's less than, that's more than one a second. 60 seconds, 60 push-ups. How can you do 100 in one minute? That's not really possible. I mean, do it legitimately. So those two examples shows the impossibility of doing something physical to achieve something. So here's the point. If salvation is by faith and faith alone, why would someone try to add something to faith by making it difficult? God would not make it difficult to be saved by saying, do this or do that. Problem. First of all, not everybody can swim. That eliminates, for God to love the world, that, you know, that he wants to, that would leave out a lot of people, most people. Not everybody can swim. Number two, not everybody can swim that well. Number three, not everybody can swim that far. So it eliminates a lot of people. Majority of people cannot swim and cannot swim that far. So they're left out of salvation if that's what God said to do. If he said, do 100 push-ups in one minute, then I'll let you into heaven. That limits a lot of people because not everyone can do 100 push-ups. If not, most people cannot do 100 push-ups in 60 seconds. That leaves out most people. So how fair is that for God to say, I will save you if you do these things. Now the good news, he doesn't say, I'll save you if you do these things. I'll save you if you do something impossible. He does not say do something impossible and I'll save you. He says it's by faith. Now on the Bible side of things, on the Bible side of things, there's a man who tried to do the impossible, but he failed. Come to Philippians. Philippians. 
chapter 3. A man tried to swim across the Mediterranean Sea, but he couldn't do it. But he tried. This man tried to do 100 push-ups in 60 seconds, but he failed, but he tried. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, I got something to brag about because I've achieved some things, what he's saying. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof to he might trust in the flesh, I more. Do you realize what Paul is saying here? Or Saul of Tarsus before it became Paul? He says, if there's anybody in this world that has a right to brag about how righteous they are, it's me. That's, that's quite a statement there. It's either true or not true. He sincerely believed that he was a righteous man before God because of the things that he has done and because of, because of who he is. Verse 4 again. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. He's saying I'm better than anybody else. I'm more better than anybody else. So what he's saying. Verse 5. Circum here's the reasons. He says he's better. I'm circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. He says, I'm the right kind of person. I come from the right tribe. I am God's children. Verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I keep the law, he says. He, I mean, he thinks he has. <laughs> he thinks he has. Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Ye doubtless, and I count all things but loss. Everything that I think I have gained to be saved, to be right with God, to be justified in God's sight, it's a loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, the just shall live by faith, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now, dung is a very strong word there, and it does not mean trash or rubbish, like most people would say. It means what it really is by definition, dung, cow dung. It's not trash. It's not something that you put in a trash can. Verse 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith. Oh, there it is. The faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know him. We'll stop there. You see that this man tried to swim. He tried to do the push-ups. He failed. And when he got saved, he says, Oh, boy, what a fool was I to think that my religious life my religious zeal could buy me a part of God's salvation. It's all in vain. And so everything about him was pretty good on the outside, but his heart could not be right with God because he was doing it by the flesh. James 2.10 tells us this. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And that's what Paul is really saying. It's all dumb. It's all a waste of effort to have tried my whole life to be righteous before God by my own goodness. I will drown in the Pacific Ocean. And so it's impossible because Christ did all the necessary work. Romans 5, 9 tells us, much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And John 19, 13 again says, it is finished. Christ finished the necessary work and all he has left for us to do 
is believe on him. Now, that the word here is uh, explanation. It is easy. It is simple. It is not complicated. Easy does not mean it's cheap. Simple does not mean, oh, whatever's. No, no. It is to the sinner who wants to be saved, easy because someone else did all the necessary suffering and work. It is easy and simple because he only requires faith to believe. He doesn't say swim or do the push-ups. He doesn't say obey the law or the commandments. He doesn't say go to church every day of the week of your life, spend four hours in church and uh, do other religious things. He doesn't say that at all. And because again, Christ fulfilled everything at the cross. So the vehicle for personal salvation is by faith. That has been established in the Bible. It's by faith. Now come to a verse, two verses that you all know. If it comes to Ephesians. Ephesians is a great book, and there's a great chapter and a great two verses in Ephesians chapter two and verses eighty nine. Ephesians two eighty nine are great verses because it's very clear. It's very clear how you are saved. It's so clear. I mean, you cannot fog it up. Um, all the volcanic, all the fog from the Big Island coming across there could not dim the clarity of what these two verses say. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, not 5%, not 1%, not swimming, not doing push-ups, and not of it, not by keeping the law, Saul, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And obviously, a gift is given to you because someone wanted to give you a gift, and two, someone paid for the gift, so that the receiver of the gift doesn't have to pay for the gift. When you receive a gift, apparently, you just say, oh, thank you, and you accept it. You don't say, oh, how much do I owe you for this gift? If you owe something for the gift, it's not a gift. It's something you buy. You go to the store, walk out with some, without paying for something. It's called uh, modern times. <laughs> go ahead and load up your wagon with stuff and not pay for it. It's called, this is the culture we live in. But normally you pay for what you get. But the gift of God is not to be bought because it is by God's grace that you receive it. Verse number nine, not of works. Uh, how clear can it be? It's not by swimming. It's not by push-ups. Not, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you could, now think this through. We still got our thinking cap on. If you could, do your 5% or your 1% and swim to California. First of all, it would be the first time it was ever done. Secondly, you'd be so exhausted that you, it just can't happen. It's just an impossible physical feat. Um, and if you did it, you'd be a famous person. And you would say, you would say, okay, 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 okay. Oh, first of all, I need some drink. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, secondly, I need some LNL. I need some. I need some. I need a something to eat. Oh, I haven't eaten for fourteen days. I'm gonna have something to eat. Can I have some locomoco? Oh, oh, thank you. Oh. Oh, and now next thing you're going to say is this. Okay, you see, I did it. I deserve to be saved because I did it. Well, you could say you deserve it because you really did something great. But that's not salvation. That's human effort. That's works. That's you get something because you're a debtor, that you owe it, so you work for it. No, no. You simply receive it as a free gift, though you don't deserve it. 
So it's all by grace. It's all by faith. It's so clear. It's a clear statement. And you want to be sure that you always look at unclear statements about what you think might be salvation with a clear verse about salvation. So Ephesians 2.89 is so clear. It's so clear. It's so clear. You go to that verse to compare to other verses that are not so clear. Let's look at a couple of verses that are not so clear. That it seems to say you must do some things. It seems to say, it doesn't say swim or push up, but it seems to say you must do certain things. You must be a certain way. You must live a certain way so that you can be saved. It seems to say that. Let's see those verses and then match it up to Ephesians 2 9. We're going to clear up the unclear with a clear verse. Is that clear? Okay, we're going to come to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 14. We're going to look at an unclear verse and cure it up with a clear verse, which, of course, is Ephesians 2.89. The unclear scriptures are coming from Luke chapter 14. Look at verse 26. 14.26. 26-27. If any man come to me, some people read this to be, if any man come to me for salvation, well, let's keep reading. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now that verse sometimes can be taken to be, cannot be saved. But it doesn't say that. It says, can it be my disciple? Now look at verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Again, some people look at this and interpret it to say, you cannot be saved unless you do these things. Well, where have you read in the Bible well, let me let me go to a specific verse in Acts 16. Did you ever see? Did you do you remember reading the Apostle Paul saying to the question, "What must I do to be saved?" Do you ever hear Paul say to the Philippian jailer, "You must hate your mother, your father"? He never said that verse. He never hinted like that. He never did say, "If you don't follow him, bear his cross, you cannot be saved." He doesn't say that, did he? Paul never said anything like this in Acts 16, verse number 31. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He doesn't say, hate your parents, hate your kids, hate your siblings. No, it's not, even, it's not even a factor here. This is about discipleship. It's a different thing. All right? So clear up the unclear. This is not about salvation. Salvation is in Acts 16. This is not salvation. Now, come also to, uh, let's see. I want to come to Matthew. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 and then also Matthew chapter 24. But Matthew chapter 10 first. Matthew 10. We will clear up an unclear scripture. But it does seem to say, and it has the word saved in it. Matthew 10. This whole chapter has a heavy burden on a follower, a disciple. Verse 22. 
and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end, he that endureth to the end shall be what? Saved. So if you took verse 22 alone, you would think, oh, I must endure to the end. Question, endure to the end of what? That would be a logical question. Is it the end of your life? To the end of what? Now, taking verse 22 by itself, you can be confused and say, I must believe on Christ and I must behave myself unto the end of my life. Is that what it is really saying? Go back to verse number one of chapter 10 of Matthew. We are looking at what is called context, context, context. The context of verse 22 begins at verse number one. When he called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits, and so on. Verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, he names the 12 disciples that he has called. Verse 5 and 6, he sends them somewhere. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. Verse 6, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Verse 7, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is in hand. Now, it's important to see that the 12 disciples are called to go to one group of people, their own kind, Jews. They're specific, don't go, don't go to the Gentiles. Of course, the commission to the church has been given, given to the whole world, go to all the whole world, not just the Jews. So this is a different thing here. And then it says, as you go, preach this, verse 7, the kingdom of heaven is in hand. Now, we don't preach the kingdom of heaven is in hand, but they do preach that in the tribulation, that the kingdom of heaven is soon to come. It's at hand at the end of the tribulation. So it's a different message. It's different people called to go to just the Jews only. That's part of the context of verse number 22. So this is very important to understand. And then as you go, disciples, 12 disciples, as you go, verse 8, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. In other words, you have power to do miraculous, supernatural, physical miracles, even cast out devils, and uh, so on. Okay, and as you go, verse number 9, verse number 10, don't plan to go, just go. Nike, Nike, their slogan has been, just do it. Nike shoes, just do it. Jesus here is saying, just go, just go, just go. Don't think about it, just go. Well, that is not the commission given to the church. So the message is different, the people are different, and the whole thing is different. So verse 22, ye shall be hated, disciples, ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now, the saved here may not always mean saved as in salvation saved. But whatever that verse 22 means, it does not mean you as a Christian who hope to be saved depends on verse 22. That's not for you. The context tells us very clearly it's not for you because the whole chapter is about the disciples going to the Jews with a special message. It's different from the New Testament church. Now come to Matthew chapter 24. One more reference here that's unclear or seems to make it clear that you must endure to the end. Matthew 24 and come to verse number 13. We will again look at the context of this chapter to see how we can interpret verse number 20, uh, verse number 13. So right now I'm letting you see that we're going to clear up something unclear by a clear verse, Ephesians 2.89 and then also by immediate context the chapter itself. Matthew 24 verse number 13. 
if you only saw this verse, he that in, shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Now, if that's all you read in this chapter, you're going to come with the conclusion that I must endure to the end of my life to be saved. I want to go to heaven. I, I must endure to the end. I must keep the commandments. I must be, I must, whatever anybody tells you, you must fulfill that because you want to be saved. And so you're going to find out that this is not what this says at all. In Matthew 24, now remember this, even though verse number 13 has the word saved in it, there is a condition here. The enduring it to the end, there's an explanation to that. And there's a condition to this thing about being saved. It may not be saved in a spiritual sense. Now in verse number one, verses one through four, Jesus is telling his disciples about when he's gonna return. About when he shall return after he leaves them. He gives them some signs about the temple and the stones and everything else. And then he goes on in this chapter, look at verse number, uh, verse number three. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, he, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So the context is about Paul, uh, Jesus explained to them about the conditions, the conditions of the last days and the conditions prior to him returning to the earth. All right, look at verse number um, 21, 21. For then shall be great tribulation we don't have time to read verses up through verse 21, but verse 21 says, For then shall be great tribulation. What kind of tribulation? Everybody has tribulations, but this is great tribulation. Verse 21, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor, no, nor ever shall be. So this is a specific great tribulation, as in the great tribulation. Verse 22, and except those days of the tribulation, the great tribulation should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And verse 23, then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now all of this is very Jewish, the very elect of the Jews, the nation of Israel, all of this is about the tribulation time, the great tribulation specifically. And uh, if you keep reading, come down to verse number 24, false Christ, 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So far, we have a reference again to the coming of the Lord, second coming. Keep that in mind. Now come to verse 28. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will be the eagles be gathered together. Uh, 29. Immediately after, after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall be not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. That's like Revelation again right there. A reference to Revelation. And then you have all of these cataclysmic natural disasters so-called look at verse number 30 and then shall appear the sign of the son of man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn that's revelation chapter 1 they shall see the son of man coming second coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory so that's the context of this chapter second coming and so in verse number 13 
He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Saved in what sense? Physical sense or spiritual salvation? Well, let's keep this in mind. The chapter is about the second coming. It's about the tribulation. The enduring unto the end, I do think this. The enduring unto the end of verse 13 is about enduring unto the end of the tribulation. Where you don't physically take the mark of the beast. You go into the dens and you hide. Until it's all clear. Until the sirens go off. It's all clear. It's all clear. It's safe to come out of the dens. It's safe to come out of hiding. You must endure to the end of the tribulation. So there's a limit to this end. It's not the end of your life. It's the end of a particular time. 24, chapter 24. The end of the tribulation when the Lord comes back. 36, verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. About what? About when the Lord's coming back. Verse number 38. For as in the days of Noah, they were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving their marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Watch therefore, verse 42, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. So if you're hiding in the dens, hiding in caves, you're going to endure to the end when the Lord comes back. Verse number 44. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. So, verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Verse 46. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Now, this is about second coming and the tribulation enduring unto the end. So what you have here is an unclear scripture by itself, but cleared up by the context, cleared up by Ephesians 2, 89, a clear scripture about what personal salvation is and how it is gained, how, how it is obtained. It's not by enduring unto the end. Jehovah's Witnesses, they're trying to endure unto the end. They very believe, they very strongly believe in this verse. And they believe that they must endure to the end of their life. I would say kindly that they are wrong because the context and the scripture that is clear about personal salvation makes it obvious this is not about uh, personal salvation. This is about being saved in the sense of you've escaped all the judgments. You've escaped getting the mark of the beast. You've escaped that. And you are now safe because the Lord has come back. So what you find so far tonight, personal salvation is always by faith. It is by faith. Now the question comes up, what about dispensation of salvation? What about salvation in the Old Testament where it appears to say that you are saved by works and faith? Well, there seems to be verse that indicate you must obey the commandments and have faith in God. Now, I just want you to know, though it, it appears to say that, and even if the Old Testament, in the Old Testament economy, you have to have faith in God and also prove it by obeying the commandments and so on. Here's what I say about that. If this sensation of salvation is true, then I say this. It doesn't matter to me that if it turns out that way because I live in this dispensation and in this dispensation, I'm not going to tell someone you must have faith in works. Just because perhaps in another dispensation, Old Testament specifically, there was an element of works with the faith. It doesn't matter because this dispensation is by faith through God's grace. That's what we tell people. Regardless of what it may mean in the Old Testament, we're not in the Old Testament. We're in the dispensation of grace. 
So we would all tell someone, saved by grace through faith in Christ, period. It's not difficult to be saved. Nathan mentioned about um, his friend who passed away, went to heaven. He always wants someone to be saved. I'll bet you one thing. That man never made it hard to be saved when he witnessed to people. He never told them, you must keep the commandments, you must be baptized, you must do this. He never probably said anything like that. Probably not. He made it simple because salvation is simple. It is by faith. It's not by works. And if a man could be saved in the, like the thief on the cross lying there, and uh, if the Lord turned to him and says, Today shalt thou be in paradise, that's good enough for me. That's good enough for me to think. There is a truth there that in the New Testament, you're saved by faith, period. Now, somebody says, well, that's easy believism. You know, easy believism is a thing. It's a, it's a way of presenting the gospel. It's a way of making it cheap almost by just saying a prayer after me kind of thing and without any clarification of why you need to be saved, uh, without any education, and somebody just prays to get saved. And they don't, they don't know what they pray, but they prayed it. You know, you say because you prayed the prayer. You have to be careful about that too because easy believism, easy believism is a problem. You can make it so simple to be saved that you overlook important facts that must be told to the sinner so that he understands what he's doing. So if you prayed it a thousand times, it doesn't mean you're going to say it a thousand times. But you know, I prayed a sinner's prayer. I prayed a sinner's prayer when I was a kid. And I got saved. I mean, I got saved, but I prayed a sinner's prayer because I was told to pray this prayer. Pray this prayer, repeat it. I did that. I got saved. But I did that with a lot of people. They never got saved. What's the problem here? Well, the problem is that um, uh, sometimes, you know, as you to see people get saved, we, we cut corners. We, we bypass important facts. Why you need to be saved. You're lost in this for the Christ. Penalty of sin. Here's what Christ did for you. And if you receive by faith, you'll be saved. Okay, well, I can do that. I can buy that. But you cannot just, oh, just pray this prayer. Just raise your hand if you want to get saved. Okay, missionaries in Mexico, not the missionaries that we support, but other evangelist missionaries, they, they write back letters and they have fantastic numbers. Well, praise God, we had a great month in June, you know. Uh, in June, the first week of June, we went by this town and 5,000 people, you know, we passed out tracks and we gathered all the kids together and uh, we asked for a show of hands once again, saved. And 800 people raised their hands, they got saved. Praise the Lord, really. And they went to this next town on this trip and then uh, we, we talked to some people, gathered them together, we gave them some candy and the bubble gum and things, and then we gave them the gospel, and then when we asked who would like to get saved, we'd like to go to heaven, we asked the question, who would like to go to heaven, then 75 people raised their hands, and praise God, 75 people got saved, really? Now that'd be like easy believism. They'd be like making it so simple that um, you, can you can be an idolater and still get saved, supposedly, because you prayed a prayer. But... Um, I don't know about that. I, don't, I think that's a wrong thing to do. I think you should clearly and patiently give the gospel, explain things before you lead them to pray to receive Christ. Now, they have to somehow receive Christ. They have to have some way of expressing and receiving Christ, right? Now, maybe a person, and because God knows our hearts, we can be saved, I think, without even saying the words. Now, look at Romans chapter 10. Let's look at this one before we finish up for tonight. Because this is about salvation is easy but it's not cheap Christ paid the paid the price for our salvation so it's not cheap but it's not hard for us to be saved Romans chapter 10 
Verse number one, Romans 10, one. We're done in three minutes, I think. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. All right, for bear them record that they have a zeal of God like the apostle, like Saul of Tarsus, but not according to knowledge. They're going about the wrong way. For they are ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness by their good works, by their good works, by their good works, by their own goodness, by their own righteousness, by their own religion, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of Christ. Verse four, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Well, that's pretty consistent. Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And now he says about the same. And then come to verse number, um, verse number nine, 10, nine, that if thou shalt confess, watch carefully, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Well, what is it? Is it confessing or is it believing? Or is it both? Or is it you must confess with your mouth that you believed in your heart? What is it? What if you don't confess with your mouth that you believe in Christ? Are you saved? Well, some people say, some Baptists say, you must confess publicly that you got saved or you're not saved. Well, I don't think that's true. But it does say confess with your mouth. The Lord Jesus and shalt believe in that heart. Thou shalt, uh, God raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Look at, keep reading verse number 10. For with the heart, for with the heart, man believeth. So in verse number nine, is it confessing or is it believing the heart? Which one is it? Is it confessing with the mouth or believing in the heart? Verse 10 tells us the answer. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confesseth man unto salvation. I think what those two verses mean is you believe in your heart, that's when you get saved. But you tell, you tell another human that you are saved if you are saved. It's not telling someone you're saved when you're not saved, it's telling someone that you are saved because you got saved. <laughs> All right? Because verse 11 says, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Aha! I think we see the picture here. You believe in your heart to be saved. So you can't believe in your heart without confessing with your mouth. What if you could not speak, but you can hear the gospel, you believe in your heart? Can you be saved? No, because you didn't confess with your mouth. Jesus is uh, the Lord. Well, no, no, that's not what he's saying. Believe in your heart. If you can't talk, if you can't talk, you believe in your heart, you're saved. But if you can't talk, tell someone that you got saved. That's how people know that you're saved initially. Otherwise, people will know that you're saved by your life, how you live. All right, you're not ashamed of him because you believe. And then look at verse number 12 and 13. For there is no difference. Again, this is emphasizing how simple it is to be saved. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is over all, is rich unto all that call upon, that call up. He's saying, it doesn't matter to God if you're a Jew or Gentile. You want to get saved by faith? If you got faith to believe, you can believe, you can be saved. Jew or Gentile. Verse 13. For whosoever, Jew or Gentile, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. almost saved. Kind of saved. Close to being saved. No. Period. Saved. Or saved period. <laughs> so he's making it real clear, doesn't he? Make it real simple. That salvation is really simple. It's by believing, by trusting. And uh, where is the place of repentance? That's next week. Where is the place of repentance in all of this? Some people spit about this and say, well, faith 
believing is one thing, but then you've got to have the repentance. You cannot, you cannot be sinless to repent. Well, we'll talk about that next time, okay? All right, let's go home before they shut down the highway. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the Bible and for a good reminder about what it says about something so important, personal salvation. Pray that you help us to make clear about it because we cannot give it clearly to people if we're not to ourselves. So, Lord, help us to know that it's by simple faith in Christ because you did all the necessary work for salvation. You approved of it. You approved of his substitutionary work and uh, what he did. And he said it's finished. And you accepted it. Therefore, from now on, from then on, from there on, it is by faith in Christ that people are saved. May we not make it confusing or complicated, but just simply tell what the Bible says about how someone can be personally saved and uh, use us to see people come to Christ open up hearts of people that they would receive the gospel, receive Christ as a Savior. Use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.